Welcome back to Tuesdays with Tim, the podcast that touches on all things related to brain injuries among children and those impacted by my son, Luke. Today's guest is Kevin Oates from Fort Worth, Texas. Kevin, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. I've talked to a lot of moms and a couple of dads, and but I always enjoy talking to fathers because, A, yes, I was in your shoes, but also I would love to hear, I love to hear the perspective of of what it's like being a father with a child who's got a brain injury and, and having other children as well. Um, yes. If you could, take me back to um, the day that Isaac um, had his accident. Uh, it was a typical day. We were, Every Sunday we would go over to my mom's house and have lunch, and everybody, all the family would get together and just kind of hang out. And the day before that, uh, Isaac had just learned how to operate the paddle handle uh, door handles. Um, and how old was he at the time? He was 19 months. Okay. And he had just learned how to you know, pull down on the paddle to be able to open the door. Well, my mom has that, that paddle handle on her back door leading to her pool. And uh, we were just all, everybody was conversing. It was loud and... Mm, all the kids were playing together. All the cousins were playing together. And um, then somebody asked, well, where's Isaac? Well, we didn't know. We kept looking around the house for him and, you know, calling his name and everything. And then that's when uh, my nephew found him in the pool. And um, he started CPR. And I took over CPR from there. We got 911 called. They were there pretty quickly. And, um, you know, I, from the backyard to the front yard, I, it, it was, I could talk about it now, but without crying. But in the past, you know, every time I'd talk about it, I'd, I'd have to stop. But I, carrying my son's lifeless body from the backyard to the front yard, and they had just barely stopped the ambulance. And... They opened the side door to start walking out, and they saw me approaching, and all they did was grab Isaac and shut the door, and and then they, they, they took off. And right then and there, I, I dropped to my knees to pray, and from there... From there, it was a mad scramble to make it to the hospital. Um, trying to get all the other kids. I, we just had two more at the time, we had Jilliana and Corlin, and uh, trying to get them in the, well, Jilly was at a friend's house at that time. Get Corlin in the car and drive to the hospital. Now, there was my my brother ended up driving because we were just praying the whole way and crying and trying to figure everything out. We get to the hospital and they're still doing CPR and you know the emergency staff are doing everything they can and it it was it was a standstill moment in my mind but it was a blur and my The thing that I remember from being in the ER right there was Isaac taking his 
his second first breath. When they got a pulse back and his, I remember watching him because he gasped for air and his chest sunk in and it was, it was God breathing life back into him. You know, hearing you and being right in front of you, um, I can feel the emotion, the pain. Um, quite often, um, I always hear from parents, um, no one really understands unless you've been through it. Um, I, I have been through it in a different way, of course. Um, but I, I just know that it doesn't matter whether it was four years ago or four minutes ago. It's, it's something that we'll never forget. And um, uh, after you saw that happen, um, the next few weeks, the next few days, um, the diagnosis, the prognosis, the, the answers from the doctors were what? The first few days where he, uh, day one, he had an MRI, day three, he had an MRI, and he was hooked up to e, uh, the EEG uh, several times, and the neurologist was trying to tell us that, you know, from the EEG, they did see moments of zero brain activity. And I think they were trying to convince us that, that they were, that Isaac wasn't going to make it. And I couldn't, I wasn't ready to let go. And there were all sorts of, uh, doctors and, and, uh, especially palliative care, they were trying to, they may have meant well at the time, but they were trying to prepare us for the end. But I don't think that they were on the side of us fighting for Isaac. And they just wanted to be that safety net whenever somebody falls apart. But um, I remember being in the hospital in the NICU. No, not NICU. Pick you. And uh, within those first two weeks, like I, I, with everything going on with um, the neurologist telling us there's nothing we can do, he's going to be, you know, vegetable for the rest of his life. There's nothing going on in his brain, nothing happening to him. There's no recovering from this. Within those first two weeks, my my gut instinct, you know, was that my, not my, God gave me this peace within the first two weeks that everything was going to be fine. Everything was going to be fine. But I was still living in the moment of, of you know, maybe sleeping two hours a night and watching Isaac struggle as he as he's waking up from this coma and 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 listening to all the doctors and their prognosis and and there was one especially uh what do you want to call him it'd be a guy that's very literal and and just dry matter, matter of fact matter of fact there we go so anyway this guy and he he comes at me with this study is like you know only 
based on the the charts and the numbers, your son only has a seven percent chance of surviving. And I'm like, well, thanks a lot, Dick. Uh, and uh, so I, but I, I didn't care what he said. I I didn't care what he said. I didn't care what the study said. You know, my son was going to make it, and and I was going to fight for him all the way into the end. And the and we knew that hyperbaric oxygen was going to help him. We knew it. We absolutely knew it. From from the first week, we knew this was going to help him. The hospital next door had a had a, a hyperbaric chamber, but they would only do it for uh, wound care. And it kind of really pissed us off. And and all the doctors were saying, you know, hyperbaric doesn't work. Hyperbaric doesn't work. Whatever. And for the first three days, they 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 left him alone. They just kind of like waited for him to pass. And when he didn't pass, that's when they started, you know, actually doing something about it, actually giving a crap. And because I don't I don't think they wanted to exhaust their efforts on something that could expire. But it just it, it pissed me off. Like we, we were three days into this and they start doing stuff. And it took another, I think, day and a half to where I was like, hey, uh, he's a human. When are we going to feed him? And they were actually receptive to hearing what Hart was talking about with the normobaric oxygen, and they they're like, "Fine, whatever." I mean, it, sure, you could try that. It's not going to work, but that's fine. But we ended up spending fifty-five days in the hospital and then a week at home before we can get to Harch. And and I'll tell you what, that first week at Harch. Isaac, when we left the hospital, Isaac was locked in. He did not, he was, didn't, wasn't aroused by anything, didn't look at anybody, didn't, uh, <clears throat> didn't pay attention to sounds, nothing. That first week in the chamber, day one, he started tracking with his eyes, and by day three, he was smiling. And it, it was just, it, it was incredible to see that. And you're referring to Dr. Paul Harsh uh, from New Orleans, with who's the guru of hyperbaric oxygen, and and has helped so many. And uh, um, I'm I'm just so pleased to hear um, how those first few days were for you. So let's fast forward to today, four years later. How is Isaac? Awesome. Awesome. He is. He, uh, what gets me the the most is uh, when he laughs at his sisters when when they're just being goofy and just being kids and just having a great time. He belly laughs the hardest with them, and it, it's incredible to hear him just just be a normal kid, just laugh at jokes. Mm-hmm. He he um, he's nonverbal, mm-hmm. he's nonmobile, but. He tracks everything with his eyes. He is completely 100% there in his mind. He understands. He understands everything that's going on around him. And I, I would say that the therapies that he has done has helped, but I know you and Amy, and I know that uh, his number one therapy, uh, his parents and his siblings. Um, yes. Speaking of his siblings, tell us about your other children. We have uh, Isaac is one of four. We have the oldest one. She's twelve. Juliana, second, Corlin, ten. Isaac is five, and we have a one-year-old Ryan. And uh, Ryan, when he wakes up in the morning, 
he will go over to his brother or even in the afternoon he'll Isaac will be laying on the floor um and you know we'd try to put toys around him get him to to move around a little bit Ryan will walk up to Isaac and just lay on his chest and give him a big old hug and it's just so sweet you know the amazing thing about siblings um my daughters were 12 and 10 at the time when Luke was 9 when he had his accident and at 15 so 6 years later um is when you know Luke passed at 15 but my girls um learned a lot patience empathy um caring um and so they are more well-rounded than had this not happened to their brother um, at the same time, um, so much of what they experienced in their teens and their early years were that this was about Luke, taking care of Luke. Um, tell me about the the juggling act that you and your wife have to do to take care of Isaac while you have three others. Um, that is, I would call it magic all in itself because the, <laughs> trying to go from one kid that has 100% care to, you know, the baby that needs almost 100% care, and then the two older ones, and it's it's like putting them out to pasture. And for the longest time, we were so focused on Isaac that it's not that we forgot about our other kids. They kind of went on the back burner. They had to grow up on their own, didn't they? Exactly. And, it, and, and, and Amy and I actually made the choice that, that you know, we said, you know what, we're going to stop this now. These kids need their parents. They need to be involved. They need to, you know, they need to go have fun, and they need to do fun stuff too. And and they need uh, that family structure, not just, hey, go read a book or or you know, it's Isaac's time right now. Um, so recently, we were able to while we were out in Atlanta uh, for therapy, we took a second week out there. And we went on a family vacation, and we went chasing waterfalls in northern Georgia, and it was awesome. We went hike trails. The girls had a blast. Um, they found lizards. They found frogs. We even got to go swimming in one of the falls. It was great. Uh, so being able to I w- take Isaac and in, infuse our life back into the other kids along with Isaac instead of just being hyper-focused on Isaac and, and making that choice to be a family again. You mentioned Amy glowingly. Tell me about her. <laughs> <laughs> she is the reason why our kids are all cute. <laughs> <laughs> so they look like Amy, which is good. How has all of this affected Amy? Um, there have been rough patches. And... Um, I had mentioned Ryan, our youngest. He's one. He's been born since Isaac's accident. And going through the uh, the pregnancy with different uh, hormone changes and leading up to birth and then, after, you know, about a year after birth and, and trying to regulate. I wouldn't say regulate. That's a bad term. Uh, where she is leveling off. Uh, uh, being back to uh, uh, a normal Amy, she, like for the first year of, of after Isaac's accident, I, it was, it was, it was tough. Um, 
it was rough on both of us and and on your relationship on our relationship rough on amy and she uh she internalized a lot of it and she didn't uh she she i would say she took it personal guilt anger bitterness yes all normal things um it took me eight years to to rid some of that uh and you know but at the same time we have other children i have three daughters i have three others as well and um it's such a uh you know we only have one life and we want to make the most what we have but we also know that one of our children in my case in the past but but had to garner most of our attention and without losing sight of what we also have with three amazing children um so you know, the two of you, I assume, um, have been through some rough patches, but also communicate very regularly and, and share your feelings because that's very important for any marriage. But I assume for you guys, especially knowing that you have four children, but you also have to be there for each other. Yes. And more often than not, we just, we, we focus too much of our attention on our kids and, and, and not pay attention to our relationship. And, that is one of the downfalls that I have is is I'll go to work and then I focus on the family and then by the end of the day, you know, even though she's been at home, she's still working for the family. So by the end of the day, we're both kind of spent and we just we we need some, we need a little bit of downtime. But trying to be in more intentional about communicating and being there for each other outside of just the family. Uh, it is, is, we're still working on it. it. I wouldn't say we've got it down, but we're still working on it. What kind of therapies have you done for Isaac recently? Uh, <clears throat> neuro- whether, it's, whether it's hyperbaric, you've mentioned, but um, therapies at home, all kinds of therapies. I think everyone would, would love to hear how and why he's improved. Going back to the beginning, we did hyperbarics. We've done stem cells, uh MNRI and daily, not daily, but every week he's got PT, OT, and speech. Um, and he does, he's got home care programs for all of those. Uh, what else? I'm trying to think, rack my brain about. You know, uh, going to see Dr. Crawford down in Austin, uh, Neurosolutions. The greatest challenge for parents when this happens is especially when they're on Facebook and they're going they're seeing what other parents are doing for their child gosh I wish I could do that but unfortunately a few of these things that you mentioned are not, are not covered by insurance uh, it puts a strain uh, on a relationship on a marriage financially um, I knew I would have done anything and did anything that I could for Luke but um, that's also the, the hardest thing isn't it because what you mentioned costs money Yes. And um, and yet you've got other children as well. And how has, how has that really, how's that dynamic been where you're doing all that you can to be the father who's providing and going to work every day, but also relying on Amy to decide what's next for Isaac? Reliance on God. And it all boils down to that. Um, the, there were people at the beginning of Isaac's journey that were uh that were able to donate to him and we have been able to use that money 
wisely to be able to uh, get the therapies that he needed. Uh, and going from there to here is is working to properly invest some of our money to be able to fund his therapies later. So um, we're not made of money, we, you know, and it and it it is tough to sit there and go, okay, this therapy we we there was one month we spent like twenty thousand dollars, like I have no idea how we did that, and, and that's you know between. I forget what therapies they were. It was like stem cells and then and some other things. But it, it's tough. It really is. And and we have to constantly rely that, that God's going to provide for us, and, and he does time and time again. You've mentioned God a few times. And when when I talk to families... Um, and share my story Uh, and when I talk to schools and to teams and to students um, my message is always that my faith has been tested but my faith is very strong and I felt for me it was um, a couple of months ago when I just sort of surrendered and said okay God I trust because we're fighting it all the time I lost Luke twice um, yes, and and you 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 know grieving a child who's alive, um, while t- trying to take care of your other children. How do parents survive without their faith? Is something that I'll never know. Agreed, totally agree with that. I, and I th- and I think you have a, a perfect perspective of of not only being a great father, being a great husband, and also trusting in God. And um, it's the only thing that we can do to help us. Um, we can take care of ourselves in a lot of different ways. Sleep, eat, exercise, uh, mental health. But for me, it, it comes down to um, to God because I dealt with a lot of anger for a long time and a lot of uh, bitterness. And uh, when when you free yourself from that, it, it, it changes your perspective. And to, um, to be around uh, friends, I'm sure, is so helpful for you and for Amy, but also to connect with other families who are going through the same thing that, that you are. Yes. Uh, being around other families, being able to, to talk about, uh, the different therapies, different modalities, uh, of, of trying to help our kids with a brain injury and, and realizing that these other families have already gone through it or they are going through it. But, there's still a lot of things my immediate family doesn't doesn't know about Isaac, you know, or doesn't know how um, the struggles that we go through, and 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 you know that's it's just it's it's daily struggles, you know. Can you tell me, let's say in the last couple of months, um, any sort of new milestone that Isaac has reached? With with. The different. All right, okay. So Isaac is is an incredible kid, and and we see as parents, we're sitting there, minute by minute, you know, second by second, and watching these kids improve. 
and watching other parents' reactions when they see Isaac when they haven't seen him for a few months or a year or something like that, and to hear that the other parents say that how well they have improved, how well Isaac has improved, is incredible. Um, what I've seen Isaac do in the last couple of months is a lot of um, arm movement and getting that gross motor function um, and and I think I attribute that to that somebody gave him a watch a little uh, um, who are the dogs man I, Paw Patrol Paw, somebody gave him Paw Patrol watch and he loves that watch and you know he'll, he'll move his arm to be able to see his watch um, but it's just see him actually move his arms with intention is, is probably the best and to think four years ago day one, day two, day three doctors telling you in so many words he's not going to make it um, I yes. pray that, that God continues to give you the strength and, and the patience and the peace and I pray that uh, you and Amy continue to be the best parents you can be and for your other three children and, and all the best to Isaac and I look forward to keeping in touch Kevin thank yes. you so much for joining us thank today you, on Tim. Tuesday with Tim thanks